Welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the podcast of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop gaming, and nerd culture. I'm Rob Mackey, joined, as always, by Mike Daniel. Mike, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited about today's episode in particular because we have a very special episode of 19 Hits the Dragon for you today. Today, we are starting our series, semi-recurring, recurring, we'll see how it goes, series on Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd Edition. Mike, are you excited to dig into this? <laughs> I, I am excited to talk about this game. I've been spending the last like two weeks or so reading through the Player's Handbook, and I think it's finally starting to make sense to me, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to di- dive in to some uh, old school D&D for sure. Absolutely. And so um, there's a lot to go over uh, with this game. Um, it has a lot of interesting history of D&D in general baked into it. And it's a very, very different system, especially for people who have maybe only played um, uh, fifth edition. Uh, if mm-hmm. yeah, if you've played as far back as th- 3rd edition or 3.5, some of the stuff will maybe look slightly more familiar, but also not really because a lot of the presentation of the information that's still very similar is a lot different. So, um, But it's a fascinating game. I've played it a few times in a few um, different kind of like one-shot settings, and as frustrating as it can be to try and delve into and figure out it can also be a lot of fun and you know mike and i here For in sure. this game like in our last episode when we were kind of looking at the identify spell in particular is kind of what gave us this idea to go into this um there's a mm-hmm. lot about how this material um is presented as especially that can make it just seem like really tough and is kind of like from a design perspective um fascinating because this is kind of still in sort of a like wild west time of tabletop rpgs when this game is coming out oh absolutely it definitely has that feel of um you know we're still trying to figure out how to design a tabletop rpg um but doing the best we can to uh, to do so so it's it's been pretty fascinating learning this system, and I, I'm excited to kind of talk a little bit about um, the great aspects of it, but also, you know, acknowledging kind of the areas where it struggles a little bit or just, you know, from a book layout perspective as well. I, I know we talked about um, previously if TSR had had an editor or maybe a better editor, um, they would still be around today. Uh, it's wild and the player's handbook definitely struggles from some of those issues as well it's true although as a brief aside um i can't claim to know everything about the subject but sort of my understanding of this of tsr's general state is that even in like the real like glory days of old school D&D, they were just never doing well financially. That's certainly what mm-hmm. it seems yeah, like. I fair, know. Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is I, what it I've is. I've heard similarly as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It is what it is. That was I say this without judgment and with love <laughs> yeah. and admiration. But uh, um all of for sure. All of this is to say is that there's a lot to get into uh with this game. And so today we're mm-hmm. going to narrow our focus to the very basics of character creation. We have each of us has our copy of the second edition player's handbook uh, next to us that we're kind of going to yep. be going through the first three chapters and looking at it and see, like Mike said, how we can figure out how to make these characters and pointing out things that are different, things that are weird, things that maybe weren't a great idea mm-hmm. in the first place. And but, you know, trying to stay positive and also see if we can figure this game out and figure out what's good about it. For sure. Um, so yeah, like, I'm I'm excited to kind of talk about uh, some some character creation. Sorry, what what's up, Rob? Oh uh, no, I was just going to say that like um, you had been telling me before we started that um, you have been uh, studying a lot of systems lately and kind of learning how to make characters in those. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been learning a lot of uh, games. Um, in preparation for this episode today, I've been looking at second edition and even looking back into first edition a little bit as well, because I had the books, but I had never really quite been able to crack the code, so to speak, to really understand them. Um, but I think like reading second edition and then kind of going backwards into first has helped me a little bit with that. Um, but aside from that, um, I've also been kind of in a little bit of a roulette situation with uh, one of my Friday night tabletop games uh, where we took a break from D&D starting a couple of months back. And um, instead, we've just been playing some like one shots of different games or playing a couple uh, sessions of uh, different games. So I've, I've had to learn a lot from that. Uh, I mentioned uh, Cyberpunk Red um, also for Cyberpunk Red, the uh, the official like core rulebook finally came out uh, just recently. So I bought that immediately uh, and have been kind of uh, uh, hacking my way through that book as well. Um, and then we're getting ready to play with our, our other uh, Friday night game. We're going to be playing Monster of the Week coming up as well, which is a totally new system for me too. So um, yeah, in the process of trying to figure out all of these new systems, I realized that I have a sort of methodology when it comes to understanding new systems, which is usually just to, you know, crack open the book or the PDF or whatever I'm looking at and take a look at the table of contents and see what sort of jumps out to me the most and seems the most interesting. Um, and something that I want to learn about, you know, first. And then going to that section and, and reading into that, which typically to kind of bring us back on track for today's episode here, um, typically what I'm looking at first is character creation. You know, how if I'm going to play this game as a player, who is this person that I'm going to be playing? Like, how do I make a character in the system? How do I figure out what they can and can't do uh, their abilities and uh, skills or actions that they can take stuff like that? So with that in mind, we're going to kind of take a look at second edition in that light as well. Absolutely. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the character creation stuff, I do kind of want to put a bit more context on second edition here um, before we get started. So 
Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing um, that especially new players might not be aware of is you'll note that I did not say Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. I said Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. Shit's advanced. It yo. is quite advanced indeed. <laughs> Without getting into the full nitty gritty of the basic advanced D and D split, because it is quite convoluted indeed. Um. Suffice to say that back in the day, um, uh, original Dungeons and Dragons kind of um, morphed into the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and this mm-hmm. is kind of, this is, I said I wouldn't get too deep into this, but I've uh, been doing <laughs> some reading about how um, games of people trying to figure out D&D who didn't even have the books because TSR's distribution especially out in places on like the west coast they didn't even have book distribution of original D&D out there but people had heard of it and wanted to try and figure Mm -hmm. it out and um make up ways to play it and yeah yeah it kind of keeps going like that i again (laughs) we're trying to i'm trying to move through here quickly as possible those of you who know me know that i'm i think of everything far too holistically and everything is an interconnected raft of knowledge so i almost can't explain something as quickly as possible because (laughs) i just want to get into the nitty-gritty of everything and that's not possible here anyway so Mm -hmm. in after a point um in I think the early 80s um after advanced Dungeons and Dragons had kind of established itself um they cre- also created a basic Dungeons and Dragons set the idea of which was that if you were a brand new D&D player you would start out with basic Dungeons and Dragons which originally only had rules through uh levels 1 through 3 that was it and then from there you could um Basically, once you advanced past that point, you probably knew the game well enough and were on board, and you could sort of graduate to advanced Dungeons & Dragons. This sort of fell off the rails. Basic D&D kind of became... It it seems like... Yeah, so it sounds like basic D&D was, you know, the starter kit, essentially. Like, here's how you get going, and then advanced Dungeons & Dragons is kind of the full game. Is that correct yeah that is a good way to think of it definitely and i'm glad you said starter kit as well because um a lot of basic rules were um us uh shipped out in like they were like box set starter kits basically um right and they contained it was like a pamphlet that had all of the basic rules if i'm remembering the things that i've i've seen online before Never actually used my. Yeah, a friend of mine, um, my uh, DM back in Minnesota, he um, he had kind of the books from the old set at least, and there was kind of there's Mm -hmm. there's a player's book basically, and then there's a DM's book. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. and then a lot of them, I think, also contained uh, an adventure. Um, Keep on the Borderlands. I'm pretty sure was a basic set adventure originally. Mm-hmm. Um, in search of the unknown, I'm pretty sure was a basic set um, adventure starting out. So, couple of hyper classic like intro adventures to the game. Right. Yeah. But this kind of fell off the rails. Um, eventually, people like basic D and D enough that 
for because it was a bit simpler that like there's rules that take basic D&D up to level 36 if you check on Wikipedia. <laughs> so yeah, the whole wow. like you start here and move to AD&D kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Moving on. So Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd Edition came out in 1989. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple of major pressings of the player's handbook um, at play. I have on... I have a first press um, player's handbook from 1989 that I bought for not very much and is in not excellent condition, but I found it once again mm-hmm. at the Venerable Dice Dojo in Chicago. Um, uh, shout out to the Dice shout Dojo. Shout out to the Dice Dojo and their used book session. Um, session. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> section. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and there's also a pretty common second pressing from 1995 or so. Um, right, that's the one that I got access to here um, through a PDF through the DM Sculpt. So, or sorry, not DM Sculpt. Drive through RPG, one of those two. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's the uh, the one that's definitely more common. Uh, as far as we can tell, there's not too much that's really different between the two printings. But uh, as we go through things, there might be some small variations in text. Not a huge factor, though. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that almost all of the text is in the same and in the same order. So we should be good. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah so let's get to it first i want to kind of talk about the forward because i think this is kind of going to be an interesting framing device when we're thinking about the game in general without getting mm-hmm. um again we are not going to go through this whole thing but uh there is a forward from david zeb cook who was the lead designer of second edition and the main takeaway from which is basically ad and first edition was kind of noticeably all over the place and especially with all the expansions that came out all the supplements all the stuff in say dragon magazine etc it Mm. there was just so much of it and people were they were enjoying it but they were also very confused so second edition is in many ways an attempt to consolidate and streamline a lot of the stuff that had built up around first edition over the years but rather tellingly in the forward he also says that um it's important that it remain essentially the same game which is going to come up in a lot of spots because um first and second edition AD&D are very different from third edition and everything that came after and we'll see that pretty soon here and uh the rest of the kind of intro stuff is um you know is some pretty basic um how to play a tabletop role-playing game uh stuff Mm -hmm. that uh we're all pretty familiar with i actually liked a lot about this section um in particular it does say that the best way to learn how to play DD is to watch people play DD and then start playing yourself which remains basically the best way to get into the game if you ask me (laughs) Yep. Or to at least start with like playing with people who are familiar with the game, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also appreciated those kind of tips of like, yeah, if you want to learn how to play the game, go and you know watch or play with some people that know how to do it. Because uh, 
that uh, is probably the best way to learn. Also, I kind of found it kind of funny that um, their ad advice, though, was, do you want to learn how to play this game? Well, find someone else who knows how to do it first. Uh, <laughs> then read the player's handbook, which you have in your hands right now as you're reading this sentence. So Yeah. It was just... It, I, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of it. I don't know. No, that's fair. And uh, again, we'll get into this. We'll get into the book more in depth after I say this, I swear. But like second edition kind of holds a place in my heart because it was it was the edition that was out of D&D when I started playing tabletop games. But nobody I knew mm -hmm. played it because they found it, most people right. found it impenetrable. I believe I've said as much in this space before. Uh, <laughs> For but, sure. Uh, yeah. Um well uh screw it. Let's just get to it. Let's uh take a look at the ability scores here. <clears throat> For sure. Can before we kind of dive into things, I I want to also give a quick uh mention just kind of talking about how this game can be a little bit tough to kind of uh parse out. Um the step-by-step -step character generation, uh the outline uh, is a very good example of why the some of the editing and the design of putting the game together is a little tough and a little tough to get through. Um, for example, it takes you step by step, you know, rollability score is step one, that's chapter one. Step two, choose a race, that's chapter two. Step three, uh, select a class, chapter three. Step four, choose an alignment score, or choose an alignment, which is chapter four. Then, however, step five, is uh, record your saving throws and your Thacko, which we might get to talk about later, but it's basically your armor class and the second edition system for that. Uh, however, that jumps you back into the back of the book at chapter 9. Then, then it tells you to roll your hit points, which is chapter 3. Uh, again, uh, step 7 is recording your movement, which takes you back to 14. Then you jump into your proficiencies in chapter five uh, and equip your character with all of your equipment in chapter six. So there's a little bit of meandering through kind of the middle of building a character and their step-by-step -step outline that has you jumping around in the book to find all of these things, uh, which is to me just a little bit telling of <laughs> kind of the second edition in general, if you will. Yeah, it is a bit all over the place that way. There's a lot of stuff where yeah. it's like, we tried to streamline this, and I can sort of see how they did, but also then stuff like that happens where a lot of the <laughs> right. information is presented in a less than logical order and in less than logical places. And it's funny that you mentioned that specifically about the thread of character generation because... Here's something I always struggle with um, as a DM in 5th edition is uh, with new players especially. Like, how do you create a character? Mm -hmm. Because by the book, it's roll your ability scores, choose your race, choose your class. But to me, especially mm -hmm. in 5th edition, when you have full freedom over this, which you very much do not in 2nd edition, hold that thought. Um, like, your yep. race and class, they inform each other, right? Like... Yeah, right. so, like, that always screws me up in terms of, like, trying to explain things. And 
I kind of sometimes um, that sort of bouncing aroundness that we're going to see in this player's handbook reminds me of how my brain works when I'm trying to explain character <laughs> generation. And that's Fair and enough. like I'm cool and I'm smart and I'm hip and all that. But that's not a great thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right. Um, but yeah, so let's, I guess, kind of dive into it here. So step one to build a character in second edition is roll your ability scores. Roll your ability scores. So let's talk scores. a little bit about how that works in second edition. Okay. So there are six methods presented for determining your ability scores in this player's handbook. I'm not going to look at Which all of them. a lot. <laughs> it is. It really is. That is a lot. There are just... um. I'm just going to highlight three of them to kind of talk to, talk to about, talk to about. Yes, words, English, good. <laughs> All right. So they're numbered methods one through six in here. I'm going to start with method five. Method five is what we all know and love. Roll 46, mm -hmm. six times, okay. drop the lowest, assign how you want, bam. That's it. Um... Yeah, that's kind of the standard method these days for rolling your, your ability scores uh, since, like, 3rd edition, yeah. I think, right? So, and I think yeah. since 3rd edition made that, like, the default method, um, just kind of that inclines me to believe that most actual players of 2nd edition use that method. Right, yeah, that that was probably the most uh, prominent method, is method 5. For sure. So that's method 5. Now let's uh, circle back to method one. Method one is the assumed Oof. default here, and who boy, this one is fun. <laughs> if you want the full experience. In method one, <laughs> you roll, uh, you uh, list out your abilities in order. Same order as standard now. Strength, con, oh my god, fuck. Strength, dex, con, int, whiz, charisma. Write those down on a sheet of paper. Roll 3d6 the first time. That's your strength score. Next one is your next roll is your dex score and all down all the way through all six. Uh, as you as we're going to see once we start looking at uh, race and class prerequisites, this means that you um, if you use method one, that's going to determine a lot a lot of what your class and quite possibly even your race are going to be yep. this is the true like old school method i um yeah it's fun i've definitely been hanging out by myself in my misspent youth uh rolling up stat lines using method one <laughs> just to see what it looks yeah. like and uh mm -hmm. as you could perhaps imagine you don't really end up with um a lot of high scores Really, if you get if you even get a yeah, fourteen not, with bad stats overall, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, like you get a fourteen, and you're like, "Ooh, exciting!" Woohoo! Yep. Yeah, <laughs> fourteen on a stat. Yeah. yeah. Well, the last method I want to kind of highlight here is method six. Um, so there's no straight point by system in this PHB. Not that I'd use it anyway. Mm -hmm. I think I've made my uh, thoughts on point by perfectly clear. But um, <laughs> I think we both have, yes. Yeah. But um, for method six, all six of your scores start at an eight. 
And then you roll seven dice. And you can add those dice to your eights in each score how, however you see fit. You have to add mm-hmm. all of a dice to the score in question. Um, but yeah, this is just kind of a bizarre like point by like dice hybrid that I wanted to point out as kind of weird mm-hmm. and different. And I'm not sure that I like it, obviously, but it's kind of an interesting little wrinkle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and for those of you wondering, the other methods are some variation of roll 3d6. Uh, Sometimes you're rolling them twice. Uh, Sometimes you're rolling them and then assigning them in whatever order or rolling them uh, 12 times and jotting down all the scores and kind of taking an average. So there's some really interesting um, methods here for ability score um, generation. But I think... You know, methods one and methods five tend to be kind of the most widely known or widely used. And then, yeah, method six, that is a, that's interesting. I might be interested in trying something like that sometime. Um, it's different. With a character creation. I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, so now let's look at each ability how each ability score works in this system a bit too because these are all vastly different let's start with strength so Mm -hmm. before actually before we talk about strength the first thing you need to understand if you're coming from this from even a third edition and beyond perspective is that the way abilities um scores work in the first place is kind of fundamentally different um, in third edition and thereafter, um, 10 is kind of the baseline and below a 10, you're taking a minus to it above a t- above, mm-hmm. well, starting at 12, you're getting a bonus to it. And in old school right. D and D, that's just kind of not how it works at all. Really outside mm-hmm. of, yeah, really between the ranges of like eight to 15, even really, Depending on the ability, because it's different for each one when the bonuses and penalties start kicking in, which whole different kettle mm-hmm. of fish. And a good example, good <laughs> yep. example of the lack of streamlining we're talking about here. In that, <laughs> yes, absolutely. What gives you bonuses versus what doesn't is just not the same across. Is not consistent across the six ability scores even. But whoosh. Right. So that's that's <laughs> something to keep in mind. Is that like if you're Mm-hmm. Having like a dex of like 12 isn't. Yeah, having a dex of 12 really isn't that much different than having a dex of like nine. It's really not. Just mm-hmm. to name but to name but one example. With that in mind, let's take a look at strength. So the main thing we want to talk about with strength when it comes to second edition or really any old school D&D is exceptional strength. So. If you rolled an 18 on your strength and you are one uh, you are a warrior, which is to say you are a fighter, a paladin or ranger, you can get exceptional mm-hmm. strength. This is one of this again, not streamlined at all. Cool as fuck, absolutely. So, if <laughs> yes. you're one of the like warrior classes and you have an 18 on your strength, you get to roll a d100. 
And depending on the result of your D100, you get even more bonuses to hit and to damage. It's pretty sweet. What's annoying here about how it's presented in the player's handbook is, like he's, and this is going to be a recurring theme as we go through these ability scores, is that a section, exceptional strength doesn't necessarily apply based on your class. If you're a cleric and your strength is 18, well, sorry, bud, you don't get exceptional strength because you're a cleric. But here it is in the strength right. table for everybody, and this is now something that you have to keep straight, right? It's kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, there isn't a ton to talk about with um, strength um, uh, per se. Um, a lot of this is kind of like oh, bend bars and lift gates. That's you know that's kind of exactly what it looks like. Um, that's like um, Yeah, it's a percentile dice roll, and if you get less than the, that amount, then you could, like, bend bars or lift gates or things like that, and this is all pretty... That's all relatively straightforward. Um, I just want to, again, highlight, uh, if you do have exceptional strength, uh, depending on your the result of your D100 roll, like, the bonuses ramp up considerably over the course of the... the, the D100 continuum, for lack of a better term. To the point that, like, if I were, like, uh, making a character in this game and I got exceptional strength and then my, like, D100 roll was, like, I don't know, 20-something, I would actually be kind of disappointed. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I'm just looking now, and that only gives you, like, you know, the standard plus one that an 18 score would give you, and then you have a damage adjustment um, of a plus three instead of a plus two, which you would, you know, plus two is what everybody gets, but a plus three is the quote exceptional strength that you get rolling like a 25 on your percentile die. So, yeah. Um, also, yeah. yeah, I guess also worth pointing out that like, uh, bonuses to hit are called the hit probability, which is kind of not a super helpful. Mm -hmm. It should just be called like two hit bonus or something similar. And damage adjustment right. these days would just be like damn it, uh, bone right yeah, damage bonus or yeah yeah they kind of both get rolled into the just the overall modifier in later editions right so in second edition you have a two hit bonus and a damage bonus for strength and those might be different uh, than they whereas in like third edition and afterwards you know having an eighteen just gives you a set bonus two hit and two damage uh, but here they are two separate entities um, especially a big difference in the um, the uh, exceptional strength uh, chart side of things and then of course if you are somehow able to have a strength of like 19 or higher then there's a vast difference uh, beyond that as well so yeah. between two hit probability and damage adjustment i mean so yep it's pretty nuts. And uh, worth pointing yep. out, just so uh, we're clear here on this one, um, you don't get any penalties um, to your hit unless your score is 7 or lower. You don't get any bonuses to your mm -hmm. hit um, to your hit chance, or what I guess whatever you want to call it, uh, until your score is 17. Although at 16, yep. you do get um, a plus 1 damage the, bonus. The additional Great. damage, yeah, plus 1. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's move on to decks. 
So with yep. decks, um, there are three things on this table to go through here. Reaction adjustment, missile attack adjustment, and defensive adjustment. Reaction adjustment is basically... Um, uh, this is one of the ones where higher is better. That's not always going to be the case, as we'll see in a bit. Um, mm -hmm. But it basically... Mm -hmm. um, once, if your dex is 16 or higher, you have less of a chance of being surprised um, if that comes up. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, in the course of doing the research, I have not really f figured out the surprise rules just yet. Um, this is kind of an ongoing project. Yeah. There's a lot to get into, so... It'll probably, my guess, just based on some other things, it's probably something that's only in the Dungeon Master's Guide and not explained in the Player's Handbook at all. Um, yeah so. pretty much that's that, just my speculation though i would so. agree with that assessment yes um after that you have your missile attack adjustment which um sounds like a lot but that just means your attack bonus if you're using ranged weapons basically again exactly. doesn't kick in until yep. doesn't kick in until 16 you don't take any penalties unless your dex is five or lower and then correct and then uh Lastly is the defensive adjustment, which, again, we get... It's going to seem kind of backwards to everybody. Yeah, it honestly, seems backwards so. because a high defensive adjustment is bad because that's um, what you're adding to your AC, which you don't want to do because in this game, a lower AC is better. Yep. Right. Once your dex is six or lower, you start adding to your armor class, um, and if it's 15 or yep. higher, you can subtract for your armor class. Right, because again, like, and and we might, I don't know if we'll actually get into the Thaco system <laughs> here at all, but uh, just worth pointing out, like, having a lower armor class is better. So, like, having an AC of zero is like really good, um, which is very counterintuitive to a lot of people who have played, you know, third edition and beyond. Um, so yeah, well, uh, yeah, we very well might not get to Thacko, uh, in this. Yeah, one. that's that we might just have to save that for its own episode because it's that convoluted. <laughs> it's a little convoluted. I think it. I when yep. when we get to it, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get on my soapbox and rehabilitate it a bit, or at least try to. But we'll, we'll save <laughs> okay. that for another yeah, day. That's, that's Constitution. Totally <laughs> All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Constitution. <laughs> bunch of shit to talk about with constitution here um so always super important um but again if you have a constitution between 7 and 14 you're fine basically um yep but first let's talk about the the uh hit point adjustment which as with exceptional strength um some of these bonus hit points you only get if you're one of the warrior classes Again, right, stuff right. that would be in the class tables nowadays that's just with the ability scores in general. For mm -hmm. more bouncing right. back and forth between this stuff. So um yeah. Um yeah, the uh bonus hit points do get pretty um clutch um after a certain point. Um if you can if you are right. a dwarf but again, and only you with have the warriors, right? Yeah, only with the warriors. If you're not a warrior, you can maybe get a plus two um, per hit dice. Which, right. Cool. Regardless of how high your your score gets, that's the the max that you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. 
That's the max. Your con could be 25. It's not going to be for lots of reasons, <laughs> but you're not, you're still right. only going to get plus two per hit dice. Yeesh. Right. Um, but you, if you are a dwarf and you can, in fact, get your constitution up to a 19, you get a plus five per hit dice. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, past that, uh, there are four more fields to talk about. Um, first is System Shock which I had mentioned in mm-hmm. our when we were talking about spells and uh, I didn't full yeah find familiar yeah 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 when we were talking about find familiar that's right I didn't do a great job of representing it um but uh let's just I'm just going to read from the book just to kind of explain it yeah if <clears throat> quote System Shock states the percentage chance a character has to survive magical effects that reshape or age his body. Petrification and reversing petrification, polymorph, magical aging, etc. It can also be used to see if the character retains consciousness in particularly difficult situations. End quote. Um, Which, that's pretty broad, obviously. I'm thinking... If, if and when we do get to the Dungeon Master's Guide, it's going to have a bit more to say about this. I'm sensing that they're trying to not mm-hmm. let the player worry about this too much because it's not going to be in this game's mind. It's really not up to the player whether or not System Shock applies or not, if that makes sense. And that's, right. this is kind of conjecture on my part, but that's what I'm saying. But... System shock is expressed as a percentage, and higher is better. So if you have to roll system shock, you're rolling D100s and hoping that you get equal or less than your percentage on it. Resurrection survival is the next thing. Same deal. It does exactly what it sounds like. Um, if you get if you die and get resurrected, yep. there's no guarantee it's going to work out. I previously thought that was rolled into system shock, but it's not. That's on me. My bad. But same deal. You want to roll equal or less than what you have on your score um, <clears throat> on this score table. So, As a percentile. Yeah. Yeah. On a percentile dice. Yeah. And so in that sense, yeah, for System Shock and Resurrection Survival, those, um, though, like, yeah, that's where, like, each l- little extra point of constitution matters more. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, but... For yeah. sure. Lastly, but not leastly, um, we have a poison saving throw bonus, which only um, apply. You only get starting at nineteen, and you only get any penalties to it with a two or less, which I don't think you could really even get in any of the main methods. I guess if you, uh, yeah. Does anyone have a? Uh, let me check. I'm pretty sure. Is, are there constitution negatives? Yeah, elf, well, an elf elves has have a constitution minus negatives. a con. So yeah. yeah. So if they rolled a three and they have a minus one to con, then yeah. Um, or if there are effects that make them lose constitution points, I'm not sure if that's a thing in second edition or not. But yeah, yeah there's kind of a the history of it would suggest that. I don't know that there is, but maybe we'll leave it at that. I don't yep. know. I'll look into it at some point. Um, it'll probably come up, but we'll see I don't think there's too much. Of it. Learn how to play this game. Yep, that's yep. part of the deal. And then lastly, there's <laughs> regeneration, which you only get if your constitution is twenty or higher, which is exceedingly unlikely. 
So I don't want to spend right. too much time on that, shall we say. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it's time for the big one in terms of second edition, which is intelligence. We'll mm-hmm. get into it eventually, but if you can be a wizard in this game and you can survive for a certain length of time, really like fifth level, I would say, is when it really starts to get just outrageous. Wizards start getting mm. outrageous, <laughs> shall we say. But um, they can also be, if you are stuck being a wizard with not the most intelligence, that's not going to be great. So here on this intelligence table in the PHB, almost all of this um, only applies to wizards, which, yet again, we see, we see that it's here on the ability scores when really it's only for a select few classes. It's a wizard-specific thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, suffice to say, um, right now we'll look at this in a bit more when we look at mages and wizards. But uh, you need an, at least a 9 intelligence to be one of those classes at all. And then, if, but if you are a mage and uh, your intelligence is 9, you can, you can never learn spells uh, higher than 4th level. That's your maximum. Forever and for always. Also, whenever you're trying to learn new spells, which, um, unless you're a specialist uh, wizard of some kind, again... Hold that thought. Um, you're never going to learn spells for free just by leveling up or whatever. You have to learn them from copying right. them from scrolls or what have you. Um, depending on your intelligence, um, you have to roll D100 and get equal or less than that. And then if you fail, you fail to uh, copy the spell into your spell book. Kind of stinks. Lastly but not leastly, um, you have... Um, the max amount of spells per level that you can know, which increases according to your intelligence score, to a minimum of six spells per level per six, uh, six spells uh, in your spell book at ninth level per level at an intelligence of nine. And if your intelligence is 18, then you can know up to 18 spells of each level. And then if it's above that, you the cap is removed. You can know as many spells as you want. Also worth noting that um, this rule, though, is considered an optional rule and is highlighted as such. So, yeah. Depending on your intelligence score, um, being a wizard could either be extremely, extremely awesome or, like, kind of limiting past a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also worth just pointing out, I, I find it interesting, the illusion immunity uh, section of the chart here, which basically if you are uh, have an intelligence of 19 or higher, uh, then there's chances for you to just be immune to uh, illusory spells, with uh, that starting at first level illusion spells for being uh, having a 19 intelligence and kind of going up. Uh, a level for each uh, adjustment in the score there. So I thought that was pretty interesting that wizards, or probably a wizard, if you have an end of 19, you're probably some sort of uh, magic user. But um, yeah, you just are not at all fooled by illusion spells at first level. So. Yeah. Word. 
Cool. All right, let's move on to wisdom. Again, uh, so on this one here, um, wisdom in general, I'll say right off the bat, is far less important than it is in uh, modern, in third edition on, basically. It really doesn't have anything to do with um, your perception at all. Um, so mm-hmm. that's worth noting about, and we'll talk about we'll talk about like finding traps once we get to talking about thieves and um, stuff like that. But um, for wisdom, we have magical defense adjustment, bonus spells, which only applies to priests, uh, and chance of spell failure, which also only applies to priests, and spell immunities, which are immunities to certain um, mind controlling type spells. Uh, which, to t- t- bring things back a bit full circle, magical defense adjustment is also pertaining to um, kind of mind-affecting spells, broadly construed. Um, and this is a bonus to your saving throw against those spells. This is, uh, in this edition, there's nothing, there's no spell attacks as such. You may uh, think back, to um the dex when we talked about dexterity it's like well if that was the defense adjustment for that is this an adjustment to some sort of defense and it's like well no it's a saving throw bonus um basically yep. you get uh you start getting penalties to this um and with a wisdom of seven uh, and at 15 you start getting bonuses and then at 13 you um priests start getting bonus spells um they get a bonus uh First level spell with a, a wisdom of 13, and then if the wisdom is 18, they have they get a bonus fourth level spell. I'm not sure. <sighs> yeah, bonus spells, these are cumulative too. So if you have a wisdom of 18, you get a bonus fourth level, third level um, spell, and then, second and, and first. then a couple yeah. of seconds and a couple of firsts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's wisdom. Again, mostly it's mostly for priests, which yeah. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, um, and really leastly in this edition is charisma. Charisma's charisma is only going <laughs> yeah. to be important if you're a paladin or a bard. Seriously, we'll get there. But um, yeah. But charisma determines your maximum number of henchmen that you are allowed as well as your loyalty base which it 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 only is only explained insofar as it says that the dmg explains it but higher is better and (laughs) right it determines uh the chance that your henchmen are going to have like morale failure um in the uh you know shit starts going down um morale is a whole thing that's going to be let's set that aside for when we look at it when we look at the dmg and then uh, last, we have reaction adjustment. But Rob, you're thinking, didn't we talk about reaction adjustment when we went through dexterity? And the answer is yes. <laughs> there are two yes, reaction adjustments that aren't yes. distinguished other than the fact that one is uh, a dex thing and uh, pertains to getting your chances of getting surprised. And then there's one that's charisma and it's your chance. It's basically a modifier to interact with NPCs and they're different. Mm-hmm. Right. Hooray. Uh, for NPC yeah, inter- interaction, uh, re- 
adjusting the uh, roles that you make to try and persuade or get a reaction out of intelligent NPC or intelligent creatures or non-player characters. Yeah. So, uh, again, charisma just not super important in second edition here. Um, although I, I am interested in the uh, the maximum number of henchmen that you can get, uh, because the, and that's something that's only explained later uh, in the class uh, breakdowns. But at certain levels, certain classes just get followers in second edition. Um, and this chart here, like the your charisma score, sort of determines your maximum number of followers that you you can have, regardless of what the um, you, you might be told to, to roll on those um, charts or, you know, character adjustments and stuff. So it's interesting. All right. So that was ability scores. There's a lot there, but uh, let's kind of move on to uh, player character races. So this, yep, this chapter is pretty, it's sneaky, straightforward as we go through each race. Um, each race, the information is arranged similarly it kind of starts out with lore and then moves into the actual um gameplay mechanics that pertain to each um which is kind of nice but at least in the 89 pressing i don't know how it's going with you in the 95 pressing for you mike but um but one of the problems i have with the 89 pressing here is that some of these um tables are rather seamlessly incorporated into like the text itself which that's is actually bad right because they're tables you kind of want them to stand out more i think for sure so that can be a little frustrating um and it can make it hard to can make it hard to like key in on things from time at times anyway yeah it seems to be pretty much the same yeah, for sure. It seems just to real quick, it seems that it's probably something that was adjusted in the uh, 95 uh, reprint um, because all of the tables have like big red and black uh, outlined uh, boxes uh, around them. So good. they definitely stand out uh, in this book. So. Good, good. Yeah. Okay. That's a plus. Um, yeah. All right. So let's uh, kind of start off by talking about requirements. Those of you who have uh, been raised on 3rd edition and later versions of D&D, you are used to being able to pick any race and any class in any combination that you want. And that's great. And there is no going back to not doing that, um, really. But uh, here in 2nd edition, there are all sorts of uh, requirements, not just for... Um, uh, the races themselves, but also for what classes you can be with each race. So let's start. Um, the the chapter on races gets into that a bit. Um, well, obviously a lot of it. So let's uh, pitter patter. Let's get at her. All right. The first thing we got is the racial ability requirements. If you want to be a demi-human race of any sort. In the PHB, all we have here is dwarves, elves, gnomes, half-elves, and halflings. Um, your ability scores, however they were determined, must fit within the parameters for that race. Yep. So to give you an example, um, let's look at gnomes. Gnomes have a minimum strength of 6, minimum dex of 3, 
uh, minimum con of eight, minimum intelligence of six, and minimums of wisdom and charisma are both three, and all their maximums are 18. Your scores must fit in this for you to choose Gnome right off the bat. That's how it works. And all yep. five of them have things like this. Humans have no prerequisites, and uh, that's kind of their thing in this. They're no longer the kind of like... As opposed to 5th edition, um, where they kind of have like a maximum versatility, there's more... Humans are kind of more the default, if that makes sense. Right. It's just, yeah, they have uh sort of the baseline um of requirements and restrictions like humans don't really have any uh ability score requirements they don't have um i think they get all all of the classes uh as options and uh yes the only thing that they're limited on really is they can't dual class they can't multi-class which will that's a whole other thing that we'll get into at some later point Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the other way around. They can't multi-class. Oh, they right, right. Can yeah, dual. sorry. I, they're, yeah. yeah, they're the Makes only ones up. who can dual class. Right. And put that one in your back pockets out there because that's <laughs> yeah, a whole that's, kettle of fish we're going to get to. It's a whole a thing. It's uh, a whole thing. Anyway, yep. so the point I want to make here is uh, kind of to shift the, if you're more used to the modern game, to kind of like shift the way you look at like races. Like... In the modern game, you can be any race, but in this edition, sometimes you get to not be a human, if that makes sense. <laughs> especially if you're, especially keep in mind, like, if you're using method one to determine your ability scores, like, mm -hmm. yeah, right. sometimes you get to be somebody else. Yeah, I was, I was going to call back to that, because if you're just rolling 3d6 and assigning those scores that you roll as you go then chances are you're not going to fall into a lot of the options that are available here uh when it comes to uh racial requirements so yeah yeah for sure like you like rob said you sometimes get to not be human <laughs> that's a great way to put it yeah <laughs> and though those ones are special yes all right from there um we are briefly briefed on the um uh, uh, ability adjustments, which are basically mm -hmm. the bonuses and penalties for the demi-human races, except half-elves who don't have any. Well, they're right. kind of weird, but anyway. Dwarves get plus one to con, minus one to charisma. Elves get plus one to dex, minus one to con. Gnomes get plus one to intelligence and minus one to wisdom. And halflings get plus one to dex and minus one to strength. Also worth noting that halfling fighters and warriors cannot get exceptional strength because fuck you <laughs> <laughs> you're a halfling you can't be strong uh, yeah which, boo. Uh, is <laughs> just you know part of the reason yeah. that we have moved beyond a lot of the things in um second edition and even you know that are still kind of uh, apparent in fifth edition as well is the this kind of idea of like oh well you're a halfling so you can't possibly be you know a really strong fighter which is uh, obviously has some racial connotations to it that you know are things that definitely kind of need to get moved beyond and even fifth edition is still kind of trying to make some hurdles over those uh, things that are just sort of problematic within the system so worth, yeah. worth calling attention to it's 
It's true. It's kind of hard to avoid that in a lot of ways when you have, you know, discreetly defined racial groups. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. So, anyway. Also, shout-outs to Mazzy in Baldur's Gate 2, the halfling fighter who wishes she were a paladin. She's great. (laughs) Anyway. Moving on. Okay. So, um, and then first up is... uh, dwarves here um and again we start out with uh, a bunch of lore on dwarves this is all pretty generic and it's kind of going to stay that way as we go through each of the races um and then mm-hmm. um we start out um with the actual information with the class restrictions dwarves are extremely restricted in the classes you can be you can be a cleric fighter or thief you can also multi-class into a fighter cleric you can also be a multi-class Fighter cleric or fighter thief. That's it. Can't be a ranger, can't be a paladin, can't be a wizard, can't be uh what's the other one? Yeah, whatever. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> right. Um Yep, and then Yep, yep. After that it goes to the bonus languages you can know. Um which uh, is back in the intelligence tables again. We're bouncing back and forth a bit. Mm-hmm. And um Yep. Uh, next, uh, dwarves uh, have a uh, bonus to um, saving throws against attacks from magical wands, staves, rods, and spells. Keep that. We're not going to get to saving throws today, but just know that right off the bat, that's in multiple categories of saving throws. So again, this is kind of just all thrown together, even though it's separate in the actual rules. And this is kind of another point of confusion. Right. Uh, yeah. Also, they can only use uh, clerical spells. Anyway, so they and this bonus to the saving throws is plus one for every three and a half points of Constitution score. Which what this looks really goony. Uh, table nine here, <laughs> which uh, yeah. It basically means that sometimes the bonus increases at once every three, and sometimes it increases once every four, mm-hmm. which, um, well, I was just going to say, in the modern game, you're always rounding down as a matter of principle, so it would just be plus one for every three points, but also wouldn't be that because it would obviously be plus one for every two points, because right. that's how it works now. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, it seems that they have sort of streamlined this table a little bit in this printing, where it's just like you have a list of your constitution score, and it's 4 to 6, 10 to, uh, 7 to 10, 11 to 13, 14 to 17, 18 to 19, and, and then gives you the saving throw bonus that you have for um, e- each of those brackets there. So the, the chart is, while still the design of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense the chart itself is a little bit easier to understand in, in this regard Word. so that's good yeah. also at least uh yeah uh i'm guessing the 95 uh pressing avoids this um but in the 89 printing you have explains the magic save bonus gives you the table for the save bonus and then says uh that you also make this uh saves against poison with the same bonuses after the save bonus table Tiamat take the wheel. Let me tell you, geez, that one's <laughs> tough. It's just kind of like, come on, just like I don't know how they did back then, but like, surely somebody was around who'd been like, couldn't we just like, you know, present all the information and then give the table or something? Or 
Yeah. Yep. It's just not great. All right. <clears throat> so next, uh, we have the basically the penalties dwarf have to use magic items. Um, <clears throat> quote, quote. All magical items that are not specifically suited to the character's class have a 20% chance to malfunction when used by a dwarf. Um, unquote. Um, so this is a, a bit, um, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead a bit. I kind of lost my train of thought, as I will do, but, you know, moving on. Next quote. That's fine. Yeah. Malfunction applies to rods, staves, wands, rings, amulets, potions, emphasis mine, horns, jewels, and all other magical items except weapons, shields, armor, gauntlets, and girdles. That's right. If you're a dwarf and you're a fighter, you have a 20% chance to fail to drink a healing potion right. <laughs> <sighs> Beyond that, um, they have uh, plus one to hit uh, certain races. Um, those of you who are familiar with uh, third edition, this is going to look pretty familiar. It's a lot of the same, like orcs, goblins, half orcs. They also get um, a a effective AC bonus. It's a penalty to the monsters that are, to the various large monsters that are attacking them. Um, hmm. But yeah, they have to. Um, Ogres, giants, etc., have to get a minus four to attack dwarves. That's actually very in in third edition. It's a very similar setup. Um, in one of those cases where there's kind of a correlation there, they have six, mm-hmm. sixty feet of infravision, and um, the stonework stuff here is uh, this is a table that's not listed on a table, but basically if you a dwarf character wants yep. to know certain things about um stonework uh they get to roll on this d6 table which <sighs> i'm debating with myself right now how much i want to get into this uh i i think it's it's okay basically just to say like this sort of turned into what we have today is the the stone cunning that a lot of dwarves get um, I, th- I think that might even be a the mountain dwarf sub race that has it specifically. I would have to check. Uh, right. I'm pretty there. sure but, it's um, all of them, but yeah. maybe not. It it, it could be. Uh, anyway, it's it, it's a small chart that kind of gives you different ways that you different aspects that you can learn about uh, stonework or the sort of. Um, uh, ground around you if you are underground so you basically you roll on this chart and if you roll within you know a certain window on the d6 then you get to know that information about that particular thing worth pointing out that uh this the one thing i will say about this is that this gives a dwarven pc a chance to find traps when they wouldn't necessarily be able to do so otherwise um true which uh you're just like what do you mean you couldn't necessarily do so otherwise we'll get there yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's um let's move on um to elves. Uh first thing to note about elves is according to the lore of second edition, these elves are short. They're yeah, mm-hmm. that's worth pointing out. They're supposed to be like 
monster manual gets into it a bit there's like kind of supposed to top out in like the five foot ish range so it's taller than dwarves by a bit but like not the like giant not the tall slender elves that we commonly think of today in in fantasy exactly uh, which is interestingly kind of comes from the original lore of an elf like those creatures were small creatures yeah um, if you look at the sort of uh, European mythology around what an elf was, um, that's, yeah, it was more likely to be in the four to five foot range um, than to be the sort of tall uh, Tolkien-esque elf that we are more familiar with. Uh, which yeah. It might be interesting to take a look at uh, where that distinction uh, shifted. Uh, anyway. It's true. I think it's one of the, Without being able to cite a specific source on this right this second, um, I have read in a couple different places that um, uh, when designing the original game, so like Gary Gygax did not like Lord of the Rings as much as people assume. He was kind of more into like more low <laughs> fan, like human centric, like low fantasy stuff. So I think when it was time to uh, mm-hmm. add elves in, it was kind of taken from not directly from Lord of the Rings exactly, basically. Anyway, moving on. All right. So, class restrictions. Elves can be clerics, fighters, mages, thieves, or rangers. They can multi... Their multi-class options are fighter mage, fighter thief, fighter mage thief, or mage thief. Cool. Then languages. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they have a 90% uh, chance to resist sleep and charm-related spells. So you're going to be rolling that on percentile dice. Although I guess you could do that on a d20. Um, yep. They have a plus one to use any bow. That's not a crossbow. As well as uh, when using a short or long sword. That's a plus one attack bonus. Um... They also get a bonus to surprise, assuming they are not in metal armor, and this is pretty convoluted. Um, yeah, and we don't really know the surprise rules right now at press time here, so let's kind of move on. We'll note it. Yep. 60 feet of infravision, just like dwarves. Um, and uh, they get an automatic chance to uh, detect secret doors when they pass within 10 feet of them. Um Yep, and uh, that's uh, if they roll one on a 1d6, although I think the, this is definitely the sort of thing that the assumption of this game is that the DM's going to be rolling that in secret. Right, right, yeah. I mean, if you're telling your players to, hey, roll a d6 for me to see if you notice this secret door, then I think that kind of gives away um, yeah. that there's a secret door nearby. Now's so. the day's then they would search further yeah, even yeah. nowadays like how do you can call for roles or make roles yourself without tipping off your players or tipping your hand too much is like a huge kind of thing for uh dms and just yeah mm-hmm. a man but like at least these days i like we could be dming and be like make a perception check for me and that's it and it's just they're rolling a d20. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're just like, roll a d6 for me. That's a bit more information right there. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. That kind of is like, oh, hey, I can roll a d6 whenever I'm near a magic door. So I bet that's what I'm doing. Or a secret door, I mean. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, yeah. yeah. So 
This uh, text here makes the distinction between a secret door and a concealed portal and then doesn't explain it. It explains it when it comes to <laughs> half-elves who get the same bonus. So a secret door is a door constructed to be undetectable. And they have a one, uh, one in three chance of finding those. And a concealed door is just a door that is concealed. That's the less secret secret door. They have a one in right. They so have a, the kind of the distinction here being like the the hidden door behind a bookcase versus a door that's like got a tarp over it or a curtain or something that is kind of hidden, right? So yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I just kind of wanted to point that out because they definitely made a distinction that they didn't explain until later in a way that's like, ah, guys. <laughs> I, right. All right. Okay. And then gnomes are next. Um, So gnomes uh, can be uh, fighters, thieves, clerics, or illusionists. They can't be any other kind of wizard. They have to be illusionists specifically. An illusionist, yeah. The bonus, the as a trade-off, they can. They are the only specialist wizard that can multi-class. If you are a gnome, you can be an illusionist thief. Can't be an illusionist fighter, right. but you can be an illusionist thief. You can also be a fighter thief. All right. All right, they get the same constitution bonus to um, uh, magic saves as dwarves, and it's uh, the same table. Mm -hmm. um, it does not appear to apply to poisons, though. It's just the magic stuff. They also have a... Um, the. They're pretty closely related to dwarves, it would seem, because they also have the 20% uh, failure chance for using magic items... Um, mm -hmm. with exceptions, um, including illusionist items. So, like, if you're wanting a magic missile, you can't necessarily use that. So, oh, right. and items that duplicate. They also. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say they have the same chart that is the sort of proto stone cunning that the dwarves have as well. I just. I don't have the same chart at all. This is a different chart well, that I have. I don't know if this is a. It's it's well, I guess not the same chart, but it's it's very similar. Uh, in many respects. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Very similar to dwarves, though. The same plus one to plus one to hit kobolds and goblins, and then uh, minus four to AC from big guys, basically. And 60 feet of infravision. Right. And then the stonework stuff is different. I have four categories here, three of which operate on a D6, uh, yeah. one of which operates on a D10. Oh, D10. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. streamlining the system. We're streamlining here, the system. Comprehensible. Yeah, but yeah. also we're not. Not. Not really. <laughs> no. No. Okay. So then, uh, okay, let's move on to half elves because uh, we've been yep. kind of going for a bit here and we're not, we didn't get that far. Yep. <laughs> We haven't even made it to we classes We have not yet, made it so to classes. We might have to save yeah. classes, uh, character creation stuff for a second episode. We might. But, it's, yeah. it's cool. Anyway, moving on. Half-elves. Um, so half-elves uh, have the most choices of class is basically their selling point. Half-elves can be a cleric, druid, fighter, ranger, mage, uh, specialist wizard, thief, or bard. 
they can also they also have the most multi-class options um and the possibilities are cleric fighter druid fighter um cleric fighter mage druid fighter mage cleric ranger druid ranger uh cleric mage druid mage fighter mage fighter thief fighter mage thief and mage thief <laughs> that was kind of a lot and i'm starting to worry that yeah. like after a certain point there i was just naming classes and it wasn't most. <laughs> yeah i mean it really is something where you need to take a look at the uh the charts that they have available to figure out what the half elves are capable of doing in all of their multi-class options yeah so. later at least in this pr- it's a lot yeah sorry go ahead no i was just saying it's a lot to to read in a paragraph format it is so. and in this pressing at least um once multi-classing itself is explained i believe there's a table that kind of goes over um multi-class possibilities by race and yep there it is cool all right so leave that one aside for the moment know that have elves can be a lot of classes and multi-classes um they only have a th- they I have only have 30% immunity to sleep and charm spells, but they still have infravision and they have the same secret door finding rules is okay. Mm -hmm. That's half elves for the most part. All right. All right. We're almost done here with the demi humans. All right. So now we got halflings last, but not least. Um, so halflings can be clerics, fighters, thieves, or fighter thieves. Um, yep. And, uh, they have the same, uh, spell save bonus as dwarves and they have the same, um, yeah, same bonus to, uh, same con bonus to a poison. Um, yep. They also have plus one to attack with thrown weapons and slings, which, okay. Neat. And they have the same uh, bonus to surprise enemies that elves do. And again, we'll set that one aside. Um, for, um, yeah. A later episode when we know what the surprise rules yeah, are. Yeah, that's, yes, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, their infravision is complicated as shit. And I almost don't want to get into this because, like, it's the yeah it's dense. yeah I'm trying to read through it again right now and i'm just like yeah well, and like i'm looking at this and i know i already looked at this and i was gonna like break it down i think the, the, i might have been doing this at a point where like i was kind of glazing over just a bit you mm-hmm. know yeah as tends to happen as i've been as we've been researching this i don't know about you <laughs> for just sure. a shout out to the cover of the 89 pressing which specifically says that this book that this game is for players age 10 and up man i can't i can't imagine being 10 years old and trying to get my way through this i'm 35 goddamn years old and i'm having some issues (laughs) i am i am graduated uh i have a bachelor's degree like in fucking Mm -hmm. philosophy so you know dense ass text intelligent human beings of adult uh years and still having a hard time comprehending a lot of the shit yeah uh, in this book yeah for sure it's it's weird but basically i'm not going to get into this too much except to say that like all of the lore stuff has like gotten into like the like division like you know 
I guess in fifth edition has like high elves and wood elves and shit like that. And like the lore stout and mm-hmm. elves like points this out and like, but, and, but for the most part, it doesn't matter. It only matters if you're a halfling for your infravision, what type of halfling you are. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say right. about this. All right. Yep. All right. Okay. And let's move on. And then humans, which we already covered. They can do pr- right. Humans are just sort of the uh, the neutral race yep. option. They might. They can do pretty much anything. Um, yeah, and uh, they don't have any sort of penalties. They don't get any bonuses. You're just sort of like vanilla mortal humanoid creature. Yeah. And then the the last bit in the race uh, chapter, which again, this is kind of, I guess it makes sense um, why this is here because. Uh, aging um it has the kind of physical stuff it has height weight and age information Mm -hmm. which i guess makes sense enough here um i only want to highlight um that um the aging effects table which is table 12 in the 89 pressing um just know that there is stuff in this game that can age magic stuff mostly that can age you considerably so you so whereas in fifth edition this is very age exact age is very easy to hand wave it's Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. quite you kind of need to know what your exact age is in this version it it's really going to help out down the line all right and that's the end of races yeah Woo. What say you, Mike? Do you, do we want yeah. to start looking at classes? Or I, I I don't know. I mean, we've been going for over an hour we now, have. and we just made it through <laughs> chapter two. Yeah. So I think maybe pause here, and we can do chapters three and four, and maybe five next. For sure. Although I don't know about you, I feel like we don't necessarily need to go uh, through chapter four because it's chapter four is uh, alignment. Yeah, it's and it's like, alignment. So you know, it's yeah, kind of all the same fine. stuff um for sure yeah we could just do the the classes and proficiencies yeah. i will give it a once over uh, to make which is kind of s- skills but yeah sorry, sorry i was just gonna say i'll probably give the alignment chapter the once over just to make sure there's nothing particularly goonish about the uh approach the game takes to alignment but yeah it's mostly the same stuff yeah, I mean, it, it might just be worth shouting out that there are some alignment restrictions for classes. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of all that we really need to it's talk true. about and alignment on. Um, I per- so. yeah, yeah, and I plan to talk about those plenty when we talk about each individual class because, yeah. Class, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a whole thing. For sure. All right, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the beginnings yeah. of second edition. There's a lot here. I, <laughs> yes. I feel like ever mm-hmm. after having immersed myself in it for a couple weeks that I'm, again, starting to get an understanding of it. And it's like it is granular, but you do sort of once you like study it and see it in action enough times, it does. You do start to actually get a feel for it. I know that. If for sure, there expo- is a. It, yeah. It's convoluted, but there is a kind of logic to it, so that can be sort of parsed out. And yeah, like I said, it's it's to the point now where it's starting to make sense to me. And I've been reading through this book for like two weeks. Um. So yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, um, I've had this book for ten years, and like 
through like every so often just looking at it <laughs> and being like, huh, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm also like starting yeah. to make sense of it. That and that and playing a lot of Baldur's Gate, I'm sure, has helped. Although yeah, as with I bet that's as you helped you a lot as well. Yeah. As you'd maybe expect though, there's definitely some like smoothing over of some of the rules just to make it work as a video game better. So yeah. For for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, cool. This has been a little bit of a look at uh, second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, hopefully you're, you've learned something about sort of the origins or the through line of uh, D&D and uh, kind of where it's come from. And uh, we'll be back next week to take a little bit further look at uh, character creation. Yep. We'll get into the nitty gritty of the yeah. classes and some of the other stuff, and it'll be fun. Absolutely. Maybe we'll even get to Thaco. It'd be great if we did. Uh, yeah, we we might be able to. Uh, we'll see. I, based on just what we're talking about, yeah, we'll see how in the weeds we want to get talking about proficiencies uh, next week as for well. For sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you for coming on this journey with me, Mike, and all of you out there. This is kind of something that Absolutely. I've kind of wanted to do with this show for a while now and was always going to be kind of like, uh, you know, struggling together. And I thank you all for coming along with me on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've enjoyed this uh, look into sort of the history of D&D design um, and even going back into first edition as well, which I think talking about classes, I'll probably bring up more stuff. Uh, because that's where the big differences sort of come into uh, to play um, from a design perspective. But uh, yeah, it's been super fascinating for me. And I, I definitely hope for all of you out there listening along, it is uh, as at least half as entertaining and fascinating as it is to us as well. So thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, well, well, I guess a couple quick shout outs as well here, right? Sure. To, uh, first to uh, my lovely fiance, Hannah Miller, for editing this show. Thank you greatly, dear. And I will see you very soon. Yep. Sure. And to Paul Mackey for writing our theme song. It's metal. It is dope. Dun, yes. dun, 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 dun. It is great. That's not how it goes. God damn it. <laughs> yep. Dio would be proud. They'll hear Dio it in a listen. second. It's fine. Dio um, listens to it from atop his uh, uh, gold dragon mount on Valhalla, and he's pleased. That's what counts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, thank you all for listening again. We'll see you next week. Uh, give us a shout on social media. We're on at, uh, on Twitter at 19HitsTheDragon. Um, you can email us if you like as well. Um at 19 hits the dragon at gmail.com uh, reach us either way give us a shout out uh, please do uh, like uh, comment review uh, whatever you can wherever you're getting your uh, podcast we should be on pretty much every platform at this point here so um, uh, let us know what you think of the show and uh, give us a shout if you want to talk about stuff on social media yep, sounds good or drop us an email let us know what you're thinking or drop us yep. an email yep. yeah absolutely yep, we're we're here to hear from you it's all good all right thank you very much everybody uh peace out bye-bye